Welcome to Book Tour. Two guys to tell you about the books they're reading. I'm Rob Olson. And I'm Olivia Sneddon. This is a Patreon um, pick. We talked about it on the last episode. This is Jitterbug Perfume by Tom Robbins, which was picked by, uh, it, yeah, this is like his sixth time on, I think, this year. Jesse Lawrence. Say hello, Jesse. Hello, everyone. How you doing? It's doing been, good. It's been a couple weeks since, since we've had John for something. A couple weeks, yeah. That holiday thing. So welcome back. Um, we're gonna. I think we're gonna get right into this. So all right, let, let's. Before I say that, um, Jesse, this was your pick. Um, tell us, g- give the listeners a little bit on, on why you picked this particular book. Um, I I discovered Tom Robbins when I was a teenager, and I just flew through all of his books. Um, the very first Tom Robbins book that I got to get on publication day was Fierce Invalids: Home from Hot Climates. So it was like, I was kind of going through that typical teenager thing where you read all the stuff that everyone talks about or is like maybe supposed to read and whatnot, like Naked Lunch and um, On the Road and all that other weird stuff. And I discovered Tom Robbins because, I mean, you know, back in the 90s and whatnot, bookstores were pretty much the Amazon didn't exist yet. So it was really common for people to go to bookstores and actually spend a lot of time just browsing through stuff. And I found him and I really liked what he was doing. So I just devoured all of his books. All right. So you have read all of his books then. Okay. Rob, uh, your level of familiarity with Tom Robbins. Um, I I mean, very similar to Jesse. So uh, I can't remember. I think actually either it was recommended, either one of the books was recommended by a friend or, um there's i have like two realities it's like a mandela effect situation right now because i both remember a friend recommending one of his books and um a friend of the podcast john uh john gawood um just randomly stumbling upon the book and falling in love with idea uh still life with woodpecker would be the the book i'm talking about um because of the cigarette package on the on the cover and i don't remember which one is accurate but um started reading robbins with the still life with woodpecker book and then kind of just made my way through the catalog over the years um i remember jitterbug perfume specifically being real difficult to get into um and it took me setting it down and then coming back to it after a while to get through it but um all that being said i've read everything of his except for i believe he has a series a non-fiction like essay book or something like that that was recently really or not was most recently released he hasn't put out anything in a long time called like wild ducks swing backwards or something like that i did not read that so you've read you you believe you've read all of his fiction though right? all of his fiction yeah wow okay so when uh when this was first uh, when i first discovered this is what we we're gonna be doing i thought I didn't know that guy that was married to Susan Sarandon. <laughs> so that gives you my level of familiarity like, with Tom Robbins. You're like, or, I've never read any of his books, but I saw Bull Durham. Yeah, or or Tim Robbins or whoever. <laughs> so that's that's where I'm coming from um, in this in this review. <laughs> so. The tables are turning a little bit because usually it's like Livius has read. 30 books by this author and i'm like yeah i know that they're a legend but i've never read any other stuff yeah so it's kind of nice so all right now that now that we know where everybody's uh experience <laughs> level lies uh, let's uh let's get into a little bit about the author thomas eugene tom robbins born in 1932 is an american author his best-selling novels are serial comedies also known as comedy drama 
often wildly poetic stories with a strong social and philosophical undercurrent, an irreverent bent, and scenes extrapolated from carefully researched bizarre facts. His novel, Even Cowgirls Get the Blues, was made into a movie in 1993 by Gus Van Sant and stars Uma Thurman, Lorraine Bracco, and Keanu Reeves. I've not seen that movie either. No, <laughs> there's not. There's no Tim Robbins in it. So <laughs> you don't need to see the movie. No, it's probably not that great. Um, all right, so I'm gonna give I'm gonna give the synopsis for the book, and then we'll dive into um, a little bit about the story. Talk about it a little bit, and I'm pretty sure we're gonna be doing some spoiler talk this time. Um, Jitterbug Perfume is an epic, which is to say, it begins in the forests of ancient Bohemia and doesn't conclude until nine o'clock tonight, Paris time. It is a saga as well. A saga must have a hero, and the hero of this one is a janitor with a missing bottle. The bottle is blue, very old, and embossed with the image of a goat-horned god. If the liquid in the bottle actually is the secret essence of the universe, as some folks seem to think, it had better be discovered soon because it is leaking and there's only a drop or two left. Let's start with the synopsis. <laughs> I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> Let's start at the back of the book. Um, this is, so I, I love that first line. The It begins in the forest of ancient Bohemian until 9 o'clock tonight, Paris time, which is absolutely wonderful. The rest of it, though, really, I don't want to say is misleading, but is really not indicative of the book as a whole. Am I the only one that, that kind of thinks that? It it really isn't. I mean, the janitor thing too. I mean, to like nitpick little details. It's kind of really no janitor here. Yeah, there is. I mean, well, I mean, yeah, he he was, but that's yeah. such an insignificant way of 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 portraying him. Yeah. Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, but in technicalities, it is it is accurate. Everything in this synopsis is accurate. It's just like it's like it, it it's if we had said to someone, "Hey, I know you read this book. We want you to make a synopsis, but just put together all the things that don't matter at all to what you remember about having just read this book." Right. Rob, do you remember an, an author telling us that when he has to blurb a book, he reads the first chapter and the last chapter? Uh huh. Yeah. <laughs> okay, this is very much. The- yeah. The guy who does the fucking synopsis should not have that same that same <laughs> attitude towards it because I mean, that's what this feels like. Realistically, nobody should have that attitude. Well, but... Yeah, no, I know. You get what I'm saying. So, anyway, <laughs> whatever. I had not read the synopsis, but but I don't think I. I, I, <sighs> I don't want to make more like more editing work for Rob, but if this like becomes like so spoilery that we, he has to edit it out, I just gotta say it though, like regarding the synopsis, would it actually have spoiled the book at all instead of saying janitor to say that in something like an ancient king who escaped death and found immortality lost this bottle, you know? No. no. So, well, yeah, well, but that's my point. So, <laughs> and I understand this book was written in the early nineties, right? Um, 84. It oh, came okay. out. All right. So I'm going to assume we're taking it from there, but somebody should really update this. And here's why. We don't get to shop for books by cover very much anymore because they're really thumbnails on your phone on Amazon. The, the The synopsis has to carry more weight and and I think nowadays more accurate weight. I, like It's not like you could just flip through the book like you could in a bookstore or, or, or glean some knowledge from the cover. I mean, you could. You could expand the cover. I just feel like synopsis have... Uh, like they've gotten really fucking lazy 
I think. And, and this is coming up more and more frequently um, over the last couple of years. Would you agree with that, Rob? I think it's like real hit or miss. I think that, um, I think that it, it parallels the idea of book covers. Like they're, they're both marketing gimmicks that um, are, are integral to the, the packaging and delivery of a book, but they're not created necessarily by the author. <laughs> and so like what you get, so I'll, I'll, I'm trying to think, I thought there was a really good example. Um, it's not a it, same, same idea. Um, so remember when um, that the movie adaptation of, of, of uh, Dermaphoria came out and it had um, that really shitty, real shitty movie poster kind of cover <laughs> yep. that like, it, it has nothing to do with like the essence of the story or oh, like you're right. He's the tone. I can't quite see it from here, but the one guy's got like a gun and there's yeah, no it's gun an action. Yeah. It's an action movie poster for uh you know a really weird like psychological drama type of story like whatever i'm I'm being an elegant moment my words but like i I think it's the same thing here uh with a book you're you've got you know it's a it's a roll the dice when you get your cover and it's the same thing with a synopsis like unless you write your synopsis or you you know are in uh, you know involved in the process you could get some garbage like this or you could get something that really nails like what what the book's going to be about i gotta say that with tom robbins books his his covers if you look at them they're actually not that indicative of what the story is about and really i kind of feel sorry for any any marketing department or art artistic department that has to come up with a cover for a tom robbins novel because that's that's got to yeah, just fair. be like a that's that's got to really suck. I mean, yeah. so few of the book covers. I mean, still life with woodpecker has a little bit of detail in it re- relative to the story, and fierce invalids home from hot climates kind of does too. And the jitterbug perfume cover, depending on the edition you have, it's not. It's got a little bit going on, but still, none of his book covers really have any bearing on what the story is actually about yeah and i guess that could, that could be like you said could have something to do with the fact that so like if and, and we'll get into we're really putting like the cart on the opposite side of the fucking field from the horse at this point like but um <laughs> discard before <yeah>. the horse <laughs> oh he's pulling to that see we're going ahead in time already um i guess what i was, what I, was I can't remember what i was going to say now um, I lost my Sorry. train of thought. No, 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 it's cool. I, I, um, um, but like he here's here's what it is. Like it's not like it's just like this lighthearted story about you know perfume. It's like a really dense, deep exploration of some very philosophical things. So how do you summarize that in a cheeky way on the back of a book? So I don't know. Olivia's is already asleep. <laughs> Olivia's checked out. Let's introduce you to some of the storyline <laughs> and um, some of the cast of characters, which is uh, which is more characters than we usually cover. Um, we we and I'm not going to go in order because I, I do believe this actually starts in Seattle, like the very first chapter, if I'm not mistaken. But 
really the first story that we see is the story of King Alabar, who a thousand years ago was ruler of a, of a small kingdom and a kingdom that only let their kings reign until they showed signs of aging. So Alabar wakes up one morning and finds a dreaded gray hair and knows that he has to um, hide this from, from the kingdom uh, lest he be murdered and replaced with someone significantly younger than him. Yeah, and so like that's yeah, and that's the story that um launches us. There was like some innocuous beat deliveries, I think, at the beginning of the book, like Livia was saying, but like this is the story that really kind of we we see the most of and we spend a good chunk of at the beginning of the book. Um and right at the beginning, I want to point out that there is there is like a a mortality uh conflict um very early on. And so Alabar um knows and has always known that like the custom the custom of his people is like at the you know the first sight of some sort of um i don't want to say frail frailness but like um the onset of old age or or weakening or becoming less than like at peak physical strength um they fucking murder you like by poison and he's like no nah, i don't know if i'm feeling this and so goes on the lamb and um basically encounters his second kind of culture and and jump in whenever you want to guys to like kind of support or, or you know refute things that i'm saying but like the second culture that he encounters um is is kind of a more of the same situation where he where he finds himself in the caste system of this of this society which is basically as a peasant um you're basically working until you die and there's no real quality of life you just kind of that's your lot and he <laughs> i really i really liked <laughs> i have to say i really enjoyed the like life was just kind of moving along and you know he's had the kids and he's got the woman in his life and everything seems like it's okay and then they have this like christmas celebration and he bites into something in the cake and <laughs> and it's like great now you're going to die so like he is just faced with an untimely death enough where he's like i'm fucking done with someone deciding when i die and that's kind of like the theme of the beginning yeah about that game too i found that kind of fascinating the uh so the, the, rob's saying is he, he bites into a something into a cake or something yeah special bean or something that's in there and he is awarded kingship of the town which he's very excited about because he's the king and he's literally given free reign to go around and have sex with any woman he wants and, and do whatever but after a period of three days or whatever it is, I think then they kill him. Like that's just their annual tradition that they pick somebody who gets to have a lot of fun for three days and then they kill him. But yeah, he, he decides he is going to try and take uh, control of not of his life so much, but of his death into his own hands by seeking out immortality. And uh, we're going to try to move quickly through, through some parts of this book. Cause as Rob mentioned, it's super dense. Um, at, at one point, he encounters um, Pan, the the goat god, I guess, or goat-ish god. Um, and, and he keeps gleaning morsels of information from different people. But yeah, he decides that he is going to seek out the solution to um, the, the solution to, to life with, you know, like just to continue living. I don't even know how to say it because it's not this. I'm not sure what the solution to life is or if it's the he wants to, to beat death. death. Yeah. 
Um, he doesn't, yeah, because like otherwise, you were talking about Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Um, oh, that's a reference you won't understand. Is that written by Susan Sarandon's husband? No, not at all. <laughs> Jesse, jump in anytime you wanna. You wanna add something? <laughs> I got nothing yet. I'm just right. waiting, waiting to get the feeler, yeah. feelers <laughs> out there. <laughs> um, and so. After like after some like you know the cultural things and like and the you kind of figure out where this is going. He basically straight flat out says, "I'm going to find a way to live forever." Like I don't think that death has to be the natural conclusion to um, our journey. It could I should just be able to keep on going, which leads him in. And this is taking place like Livia said like a thousand years ago. So he's basically going on like everybody's an idiot back then. He's going off to try and find wisdom, um, and uh, so. He also is trying to avoid what was it? Christianity was just happening then. I don't understand like the timing of things. A lot of religions were, yeah. were coming up then, yeah. But Christianity was the big one. But he kind of pinballs his way uh eastward and ends up um spending time with um with different like monks and and, and things like we're really gonna speed this up because fucking there's a lot of stuff to go talk about. <laughs> um where he he at one point or another starts to achieve the knowledge and the wisdom to age slower or even kind of like stop the progression of aging, which is kind of what he's been working toward. And in the, along the way, he meets a lot of people, has a lot of experiences and meets a lady. He meets, I'm going to go with Kudra. That's what I was going to say too. Yep, Kudra. Uh, he meets Kudra. Now this is, you know, a good, you know, third of the way to the book at this point, because this, this book does that time jump thing where we look at today and then we go back, you know, hundreds of years. So we're going to kind of cap off Alabar's early story here with talking about Kudra, who he meets, who is uh, from an Indian culture um, where she is expected to, <laughs> to be uh, kind of like Viking funeral along with her husband who has died. So it'd be burned that that was the custom is that uh, if you didn't bring enough value to the husband's family, you went with the husband. So her husband dies and she decides um, before, before you jump into that, can we talk about the husband's death? Cause I thought that was great. Sure. Yeah, um, again, not uh, Tom, Tim, Tom Robbins. I almost said Tim Robbins um, <laughs> loves, loves to write things in a very clever way. And so, um, the husband's death was um, was at the moment where he was exploring like a lifelong, you know, kind of passion or goal um, in the in the system, the caste system or the social structure that they have. Only rich people ride a horse. And, you know, they weren't of that class. So they, you know, it was always like, I'm never going to ride a horse or whatever. But like her husband's whole thing was like, like he loved horses. So she weaseled her way into like getting him the, the ability to ride a horse one day, just cause like she knows how much, like he, how excited he is about the idea. And in the process of riding the horse, he falls over, hits his head and dies. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like right after getting on the horse. Fucking great. Yeah. And, and it's great because like here she is, she's like bucking the traditions of, of her people and kind of sticking her neck out there and, and, kind of breaking the rules and doing things that aren't really normal and it's all in the service of making her husband happy which kills him and i just thought that was great i thought it was great and in a continuation 
uh, with that bucking the rules. She uh, she does uh, uh, leave. Um, she escapes from her husband's family to run into Alabar, who she had met when she was younger. Anyway, I'm not gonna get into all that. Um, Alabar convinces her that uh, he thinks he he has started to find the right path to immortality and that she should join him. Um, not just because she's free spirited and was willing to break the rules, but because she's super voluptuous and all Alabar can can think about is sticking it to her. So uh, they pursue <laughs> they pursue immortality together, and I think overarchingly that that's probably the a good cover for for that first you know half of the the their story. It's pretty solid. So then, what's happening now? And by now, I mean apparently 1983 or so. Um, in the U.S. as we have a couple of stories developing here, too. Priscilla is a, a waitress and wannabe um, amateur um, perfumer. And she is she is a waitress uh, who hangs out with a lot of other waitresses. And there's some really gold stuff there in, in that whole um, waitress club that they belong to. <laughs> the daughters. <laughs> wait, what is it? Um... The sisters, the genius sis- yeah. sister. I, don't know, I have it somewhere in my notes. Uh. There's actually an interesting thing about that group of waitresses is that one of the members who's mentioned in this book is Ellen Cherry Charles, and she is the the main character in his next book, which came out six years later. Which one is that? A ro- another roadside attraction or uh, skinny legs and all? Skinny legs and all, nice. We'd just so be she, making it up, and Livius wouldn't know if we were saying that's the other titles or not. <laughs> like, <laughs> was oh. it them, them's the breaks? <laughs> Coffee pots to tin cans. <laughs> so Priscilla is, uh, you know, she's kind of a broke waitress who who is trying to, and we we don't find out so much later in the story, but really she's trying to perfect a perfume that she uh, that she was able to encounter, and she thinks that this will be like you know, lifelong money and success for her if she can duplicate this this perfume. And then uh, we have actually, I guess there's three stories running simultaneously in modern day. In New Orleans, we have Madame de Valier, who is a perfumer. And I, it's not spoiling too much to say. We find out later, right, that she raised Priscilla. Yeah, it's like her stepmom. Yeah. Yep. Although she was never married to her dad. Yeah, I don't know, whatever. She raised Priscilla. Foster mom. Mm-hmm. Sure. And she is a... Uh, very, very heavy set lady who uh, runs a shop on Royal Street in New Orleans, uh, a perfumery. And Valu is her um, assistant. So they are also trying to develop perfumes that are wonderful. But we find out that at some point they lost something. So they had a perfume that was perfect, but that uh, they no longer have that perfume in their possession. Yeah. I'll turn um, over the French to one of you guys. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. <laughs> um, I, I just, I know you were in New Orleans recently. So did you happen to bump into Madame de Valier or Valou? I spent a ridiculous amount of time on Royal Street this past trip, more so than on any other trip, because uh, part of Bourbon Street was essentially closed off or at least difficult to traverse. So um, I did not see any perfumeries. I think I would notice that. But Royal Street is Royal Street is or exactly bees. where that would be. It's a lot of <laughs> art galleries, upscale restaurants, antique shops. So a, a perfumery would be would sit nicely in between all of those shops. I gotta say that every time you posted a new live video to Facebook, I was like keeping my eye out for 
the usual suspects from this book. Um, <laughs> a guy with a bee, a bee Bingo headdress. Pajama. Bingo yeah. pajama. I did not. I will tell you though, from reading the parts that did take place in New Orleans, <laughs> it does not seem like the locals um, have changed much over thirty years now since this book came out. Man, yeah. I don't know how to take that. <laughs> Well, I, I mean, it's it's just like the character she described, or he described, or, or whatever, through the eyes of one of the characters, um, were maybe a little more over the top, exaggerated, like everybody in this book is, to be quite frank. Yeah, but they were all they were all very realistic. <laughs> like, people in my many trips to to New Orleans, um, in the in the yeah, in the interest of of pushing this along. There are there is the French contingent, which is um, the I'm going to say Lefebvre. Le, 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 how would you say the last name? Lefebvre. Lefebvre. Uh, Marcel, whose nickname is Bunny, and then there's Claude, and then there's Luke. But Marcel and Claude are cousins, and they're basically like um, the um, kind of head people of their own kind of families. Long, long, long-standing perfume business in in um, France. Um, Marcel, if I if I remember correctly, is the one with the like golden nose, who um, is kind of like known as the best in the business for knowing scents and things like that. Yeah, and he's then, like that guy from Perfume. He's like that guy. Yeah, uh, uh, Granoui. Yes. Yeah. Oh, good memory. <laughs> um, and his cousin Claude is more of like the business-minded dude who. Um, you know, he's the marketing, sell it, package it, make it pretty, make money off of it kind of guy. Luke is kind of like the patriarchal figurehead that doesn't really do much in this book, but he's, he's part of it. So, um, they are basically the, you know, like a corporate, a big corporate perfumery. So you've got, um, the New Orleans Madame de Valier and her thing really rinky dinky small mom and pop shop versus now Claude and Marcel um, running like a conglomerate um, fragrance business. Um, so they're kind of like the, the contrast to, to each other. Um, and then there's actually a whole other contingent, which is the last laugh foundation uh, group of people as well. Should we talk about that at all? Um, yeah. I mean, they, uh, yeah, they're run by a guy named Wiggs Danny Boy, who, um, <laughs> is, I mean, is a fucking a, name. A few last names. <laughs> a, a, a thrill seeker. You know, I mean, he's, he's been involved with drugs and, like, weird expeditions for things. He is also seeking, uh, much like Alabar a thousand years ago, he is also seeking the key to um, to immortality, and he believes that he is close to discovering it. Yep, and he's got an adorable daughter named Huxley Ann. I don't even know if she's adorable. Did they ever say she was adorable? <laughs> I did not get the impression that the kid was adorable. You didn't think she was adorable? No. She's got to be if she's named Huxley Ann, right? Come on. Get with it, Livius. And then um, <clears throat> the other figure in that group is a guy, Wolfgang Morgenstern, who, again, I think is is kind of along for the immortality ride. So there's a lot of stuff going on. There's the whole perfume thing. There's Alabar trying to become immortal with Kudra. There's the French um, fragrance people. There's the Last Laugh Foundation, who are a group of fucking weirdos in Seattle trying to live forever. Um, and this all spans like the course of a thousand years. So it's going to be really difficult to talk about it all. <laughs> we haven't even fucking mentioned 
Beats. <laughs> I was going to introduce the final character as Beats. Um, here's where Beats uh, come into play. Madame Devalier. Everywhere. Devalier, yeah. <laughs> They're all over the place. So all the people involved with perfume keep having weird Beats show up at their doorstep, essentially. And Alabar loves Beats. His people like lived on Beats. Man, beets are delicious. Yes. It was like their main crop. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I may have. I don't even know if I've ever even eaten a beet. Beets are great. Oh my really? god, dude, you're like Eastern European, right? Yeah, yes, <laughs> yes, I have. Yeah. Alabar grew up probably in the fucking town your family's from. Yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure I've never had a beet, and, and I don't know oh, that reading wow. this book is inspiring me to go out and get. Uh, I never miss up. a beet. Oh, oh stepped, you stepped right on my beat up. God sorry. But he's just like, no more beats for life. Um, easy. I haven't hit that yet. Uh, no perfume ever. <laughs> um, I'm I'm rethinking New Orleans, but I think I like the city yeah, enough to give it another shot. <laughs> Look, never gonna jitterbug. Here's uh, yeah. So there's there's a lot of story. This is all going to obviously come together at some point. But really, the big story here is, and, and you guys can can feel free to disagree. It's really Alabar's story, right? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. totally so, Alabar's story. So the the whole big story is is his. You know, we we go we jump around. Obviously, it's not like a linear you know thousand years for him. We skip around a little bit in that, but it, it's his story and his story of seeking immortality, his love of Kudra, their love together. And uh, you know, is he going to find it? Is he going to find immortality? I mean, I guess you got to read the book to find out. But yeah, I mean, that's that's really the story that that we follow through this. I'm going to go ahead and, and just I'm going to want to address some things right right off the the bat. Um, <laughs> I really like Alabar's story. Yeah, and I, some of the little interactions between some of these other people were great, but but they were entertaining and not in, integral to the story. So, like when you mentioned like before we were doing this, I was oh, what's that one guy's name? The professor, and I'm like, oh, Wolfgang Morgenstern. I'm thinking, why do we even mention him? Because he's not important at all to this story. You know, bingo pajama we didn't mention, but I mean, we kind of mentioned he's the, the guy who has the bees following him around, like a halo of bees around his head. I, I thought for sure that one of you guys would say that he's from another book because he had like no real beginning in the book. He just kind of shows up. Yeah. Um, but again, super unimportant to, to the whole story. I mean, just a lot of these people added very little or or nothing in some cases, in my opinion, to, to the story other than having a funny name like bingo pajama or a weird, you know, affectation like Morgan Stern and his weird little dance. I've got thoughts about bingo pajama that I'll probably talk about when we do spoiler talk. Um, but I have some ideas behind, behind that character. Definitely. Yeah. Story wise. I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll leave it up to you guys on what else you want to talk about. I mean, I think we summed up the, the plot pretty well. I mean, I think that sums up, I think that sums up the story pretty well. I mean, there it, it's kind of interesting rereading this now with some of the themes of the ideas that are posited in this book, especially with the they talk, they talk about fragrances. And I mean, I, to, I completely agree with the olfactory um, system and the memory that's associated with it. That's been mm-hmm. long documented. But they talk about in here early in the book fragrances from thousands and thousands of years ago is it is it bunny that's obsessed with that yeah. um yeah it's it's one of the 
one of the French guys. So they're talking about that. And I couldn't help but thinking about, you know, random shit like, like paleo eating. <laughs> and I'm just like, okay, so paleo eating is based on eating a diet of what early humans would have eaten. Like that's what we're built for. So that's healthier for us. But we do all these other things that go against earlier humans, like yeah. body hair removal and whatnot. And, um, just bathing rituals and colognes and perfumes and stuff and and scent scent is one of them so it's like well our fragrance is important and if eating the way we used to eat is so important then why don't we just you know do all that other shit that people used to do <laughs> well, okay, just go live so, in fields and shit yeah. yeah yeah live in fields don't don't bathe as much like <laughs> i don't want to i don't want to diverge too far from the story but, you know, in those days, the average lifespan was like 30 as well. Yeah. So even though yeah. eating may have seemed healthier, <laughs> we have to murder some other things that have, you know, tripled our lifespan. So wait, so if I kill someone who's paleo that's over 30, I'm really just kind of honoring their wishes, right? <laughs> I mean, basically, right? Um, I love it. Here's what I, <laughs> I, I yeah. Oh. Um, it does. It, the book does when you get into some of the deeper themes, kind of spark thinking like that, and that is actually something that is a little bit advertised in the author bio when it says, "Often wildly poetic stories with a strong social and philosophical undercurrent." Um, he gets really and 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 um, having not read the author's bio again before reading the book, there was a point toward toward the end where I'm reading this really dense kind of deep philosophy about fragrance and how it impacts, you know, the brain and shit like that. And I'm reading this and it's, and it's like a good chunk of the book. And I'm just thinking to myself, all right. So he wrote a story around his <laughs> fucking like theological, like master's thesis or something, because <laughs> like, you, do you agree? Like it's, it, like it went from being like a fiction to like a manifesto and then back to the rest of the story. <laughs> my my theory is that i mean he he thanks someone in the book for giving him perfume secrets or something like that so my theory is that he either befriended or i don't know would liaison be the correct term liaison with someone who is deep into perfuming and then thus had to just write an entire novel around it i don't know like yeah something or he did acid with like you know a fragrance you know magnet or something he did so, do a lot of that i'm that's, sure i'm that's sure documented <laughs> i i i get what you're saying and yes that that little like 20 page speech at the end was was a little much um you know, I, I think, you know, if I'm analyze about why we're talking so much about scent and perfume in this book is I, I almost think that you had to have something tying together the thousand year old story to today, like a common thread, right? So from a plot standpoint, these people all had to be chasing this thing because that's how this story and we talk about in spoiler talk or whatever, you know, is going to culminate. There, there's got to be a thread that runs through this. So either they're all descendants of, of Alabar would have to be, right. you know, there'd have to be some kind of thread. Um, that being said, I mean, I, I you know, I, I enjoyed the stuff about scent and perfume, although, yeah, it did get a little heavy-handed at, at the end. I, I really enjoyed the the concepts of, not, not necessarily immortality, but really how we look at our own lives and, and, you know, how we treat them and how, 
he's he goes on for a little bit man about halfway into the book and again everything he does and this is gonna be in my wrap-up is a little too much of the same thing it becomes a little repetitive <laughs> but he covers um how the fear of what will happen to us after we die keeps us from enjoying our lives so he's talking about piety and religion and stuff and how you know you, you have to live like right. a monk to be rewarded in the next life, even though we're not really sure there's a next life. We live in fear of it so much that we can't enjoy the what we do know that we have, which is the days ahead of us. So some of the concepts, although although high concepts, um, were were really wonderfully translated in the story and 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 um shown through the eyes of characters really well. So regardless of what my final thoughts on this book are, <laughs> Jesus. I, some of the other great stuff that I've read, you know, really comes <laughs> up in this. Like um, I, I thought a lot about uh, the Ishmael books by Daniel Quinn, my Ishmael. And I remember what the other one was Ishmael. And my Ishmael, Ishmael. Yeah. yeah. The same kind of thing, right? You had to have kind of this weird character explain all these things to you, but because it was done through the eyes of a character, uh, it was a lot less dry. Like I would never pick up a book and, and, and read 30 pages about, you know, how spirituality can negatively affect your life or your religious beliefs could negatively affect your life. But I enjoy doing it through Alabar's eyes or through Kudra's eyes or whatever in this particular book. So it was done well, but yeah, all of it needed just a little bit of editing, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, at at this point, I mean, like, do you want, do you want to jump over and do like, spoiler talk or do you want to do wrap ups and then talk about spoilers or? i have a lot more thoughts in general so I, I could jump over to spoiler talk and and do that and like with the thought in mind that no one else is listening to that in the moment or something livia said sparked another thought in my mind too go for it for a topic okay livia's talked about editing that okay I've, I've read all those books and here's the weird thing livia's and i talked about this privately before like in the middle of everyone reading this book leading up to this episode and i and he had mentioned before that this was so dense this book was complete was really dense and it is it's it's a dense book even though it's page wise it's really short and i was telling him about how when i first read tom robbins that i just completely devoured them i mean i flew through these books but even rereading this one this time I mean, I just finished it yesterday, so it took me like two months to to reread this book. And he talks about editing, which like kind of gets in mind Tom Robbins' writing style, which has been he's talked about in interviews before. And I think Livius mentioned to me that he actually had read this in a bio somewhere that mm -hmm. the way Tom Robbins writes is he he never rewrites he writes sentence by sentence. And once the sentence is perfect, he moves on to the next one. So when he's done with the book, it's pretty much done. That's wild. It is. And and I don't, and I, what you, what your prediction before we got on and recorded this is, is very correct in saying that I think he's a goddamn brilliant writer. Uh, and, and that may have to do with the fact that he perfects every sentence, every paragraph as he goes. Um, Cause then there's no kind of like skipping over it for time. You know what I mean? Like you get back through and you're, I guess for him, there's probably not a, this is good enough. Um, which might happen when somebody is rushing through to, to write a book in the course of a month or two months. And then, you know, the second pass is lazy because you have to be quick. 
So right. I, I agree with that. I just think from a content standpoint, I, I mean, the other book that this reminded me of, um, and again, I'm going to compare it to another book that I absolutely love, Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. Now, granted, that's a 900-page monolith, but it, it's the same thing. It deals with high concepts. It tells it through the eyes of characters that, that, that for at least for me, and I know that I'm in the minority, at least in, in my uh, social media circles for my love of Ayn Rand, um, that I very much enjoyed. But that's another book that could have lost a good 30% and still delivered just as impactful a story without the fear of bogging down the reader. So again, you know, I, I feel like that happened a little bit in Jitterbug Perfume, but it also happened in one of my all-time favorite books. How much about that one? Um, this is totally, <laughs> this has nothing to do with anything, <laughs> but like there was a point in time where you got paid per like word or page. So like the bigger your book was, the bigger your paycheck was, right? There was like, there was a direct correlation between like word count slash page count and like how much your paycheck was. Oh man, that's the, oh, sorry, finish. No, I was saying, do you think that that had anything to do with the fact that like that book was so big? Because like, I feel like um, that, I mean, just taking like the art out of it, sometimes it was just straight economics. Yeah, the the um, I don't know her. I it, it could very well be her other two books were really short. I mean, comparatively speaking, I think both of them under three hundred pages. So mm. I, I don't know if there was some feedback on how on how <laughs> like, it was received. They're like I mean, that that one literally. I, I <laughs> joked and said there was like a twenty page speech in here. Um, if you ever get a chance to thumb through the 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 last the the last fifth of Atlas Shrugged. There is like a 60 page speech, which is literally wow. one person talking the entire time. That's like Keaton levels of dedication to a scene. <laughs> but, it's, it, but all it does is rehash the same shit over and over and over again. So I frequently yeah. said Atlas Shrugged would be far better received if someone edited it down from 900 pages to 400 pages and you would lose zero story. Um, I, and, yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, yeah, I agree. There's a lot of books that could stand to get a little trimmer. So that's that was the other thought I, I had about this. And my third and final just general thought, I can't imagine that Christopher Moore doesn't owe some debt of gratitude um, to Tom Robbins from a, an influencing standpoint because Christopher Moore, to me, does the exact same thing Tom Robbins does, but does it in the Cliff's Notes quick hit, slightly sillier version. But I can't imagine that that Moore hasn't read these books, and at least, and I don't want to say he borrowed from them, but at least that they influenced his style of writing um, quite a bit. Uh, I mean, yeah, yeah there, there's echoes. I mean, especially with um, um, Lamb, uh, where like his, his, not necessarily just Lamb, but like the books of Christopher Moore's that are more serious and and address something that isn't just completely comical. Um, mm -hmm. I could absolutely, I can absolutely see that. I'm actually looking online I mean, to see if, if he says anywhere. That, that's got to be the case. I've only read so far that that one we did for the Christmas episode, but I've got, I've got Dirty Job and Sacre Blue in my to read pile, and I know just from like looking around that Christopher Moore has done. Didn't he do a book from the viewpoint of Jesus's best friend or something like that? Yep, Lamb, a novel according to that's Lamb. <laughs> okay, yeah, so he's he's done some like religious related stuff, and Tom Robbins' first novel, actually, another roadside attraction, is all about 
Jesus's corpse was mummified and stored in a secret room in the Vatican and someone stole it and brought it back to to the United States for a roadside attraction. So it's kind of similar territory a little bit. All right. So I'm on Christopher Moore's website and in his FAQ, one of the questions is who is your favorite author? How about some other authors that influenced you? Um, I won't read the entire thing because it's a long answer. John Steinbeck is listed. Um, Jules Verne, Ray Bradbury. Um, let's see. Robert Block, Richard Matheson. Um, in his 20s, I was influenced by Kurt Vonnegut, Tom Robbins, and Douglas Adams, all of who were writing funny books and getting away with it, which is what I wanted to do. Not surprising so, at all. A named reference. So, yeah, we can we can close the book on that case. Case closed. So those are my general kind of <laughs> Case overall, of the missing beats. Overall <laughs> thoughts on... Uh, on <laughs> Mosin Socks. Inside job, Mose and Socks. It's it, it makes sense because <laughs> it's it's a beet farm. They're making an office. Did you watch The Office, Livius? I, I did. Beat case of the Beat Bandit. Oh. Inside job, Mose and Socks. <laughs> Except in this book, someone's leaving beets somewhere. The opposite. You could say they dropped the beat. Oh. Uh, Just can't find the beat. I can't think of a better way to transition to spoiler talk. Spoiler talk. If you are a Patreon contributor at any level, um, you get to occasionally hear spoiler talk, which we've been doing more of lately, I think. So uh, if you're not a contributor, head over to patreon.com slash booked. Uh, donate $1 or more a month. You are not limited to donating just a dollar, and you'll get to hear little excerpts like uh, what we're going to go do right now. All right, we're back from spoiler talk. Um, before we go into wrap-ups, I want to give you guys an opportunity and maybe take an opportunity myself to share any quotes because I want to say that one of the the draws for Tom Robbins is the style in which he writes, and uh, he's a very quotable dude. So did either of you guys bring any quotes to the table? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I have. have a lot, and, and I think we're going to have to limit this because I, I don't know how well this is going to play. So people just listen to us read <laughs> random Tom Robbins passages. So can you guys throw your favorites down to maybe three? Okay, I think I can go, actually. Okay. Um, I'm just going to preface this with, like, this is a two-parter. First, I'm going to say there were a couple things that um, – I'll just go with the quotes, never mind. The first one is, like, very early in the book. It's It's from page 32. It's, everyone knows that ghosts don't piss. <laughs> and, and yeah that that was just funny to me and then the other two quotes that really stood out are okay i i'm not a huge fan of puns but tom robbins totally gets a pass he's got the the sadder but wiser pun mm-hmm. yep. and then also yep. the discard before the horse yeah yep yep i'm gonna read uh from a from a longer passage and I'm probably just going to stop when it stops um, making sense, but uh, he, he writes very densely and, and that's not to say that um, it detracts from his writing. So here's a passage that I almost randomly picked that I thought felt very indicative of that. So if desire causes suffering, it may be because we do not desire wisely or that we are inexpert at obtaining what we desire. Instead of hiding our heads in prayer cloth and building walls against temptation, why not get better at fulfilling desire? 
Salvation is for the feeble. That's what I think. I don't want salvation. I want life, all of life, the miserable as well as the superb. If the gods would tax ecstasy, then I shall pay. However, I shall protest their taxes at each opportunity. And if Woden or Shiva or Buddha or that Christian fellow, what's his name, cannot respect that, then I'll accept their wrath. This is a, a half of a paragraph dedicated to this in what's probably five pages of this, this particular thought that Alabar's having. It's a damn good quote. It was really good. Um, to, to, to show that Robin's... I just, I don't know. I don't even know exactly what this demonstrates, but this is definitely more of a crude, um, fun, entertaining side to his writing. Um, Ricky, the bartender, has defined the four elements as cocaine, champagne, pussy, and chocolate. <laughs> I was like, all right. Yeah. From the modern day, she was my favorite character. <laughs> oh. I liked her more than I did any of the the today characters. Uh, this one is takes place. Um, Alibar has to chase after after Kudra, and this is uh, the the first part of this is, is Kudra speaking. I knew you would follow me, she said, with the kind of confidence some women exude when they sense that they have made a clean capture with the vaginal net. I remember that. <laughs> That's how it works, right? <laughs> I think I have one from like towards the end of the book. Um, just his, his constantly playing with words to make jokes or make light of things, <laughs> to make jokes about things. Um, towards the end of the book, I think it's I think it's actually Ricky who says in the Bible, the mag the magi brought Frank, incest, and mirth. <laughs> yep. Yeah, definitely a play on words there. I'm gonna <laughs> Do this one's also a little long, and and so we talked in spoiler talk a little bit. And I guess people who didn't listen to that don't don't get that we talked about how <laughs> how uh, kind of crude and, and explicit he can be. Um, at one point, uh, hopefully this isn't too spoilery. Alabar and and Kudre decide that, that that they should have a child together. Prior to his departure for Greece, Alabar filled Kudra to the brim. She was saturated. She launched squadrons of sperm every time she sneezed. They circled Paris like microscopic angels looking for harp concerts in the snow. Wherever she went, she leaked, leaving snail trails sticky and translucent upon workstool, carpet, and carriage seat. Needless to say, there was standing room only in her uterus. Nevertheless, she failed to conceive. <laughs> Fucking bravo for that one. <laughs> Great description. Um, following in that theme, but maybe a little more PG, a few flat clouds folded themselves like crepes over fillings of apricot sky. Pompadours of suppertime smoke billowed from chimneys, separating into girlish pigtails as the breeze combed them out above the slate rooftops. Fuck me, man. <laughs> Seriously. Um, I also, um, Jesse mentioned this, but I want to read the paragraph prior to the claim. And by the way, guys, it, it is actually his name is pronounced Descartes without the either of the S's, I guess, which makes it even funnier. Mm -hmm. Descartes before De Horse. Yes. <laughs> How strange it must have sounded, this quarreling about dematerialization, voluntary aging, goat gods, and immortality to a city that was primed for the age of reason, a populace that was beginning to put Descartes before De Horse. <laughs> That's good stuff. I don't have another direct quote, but I want to say quickly that um, the whole drapes drapery things is some of the best grammar humor that I've read in a long time. Yep. yep. 
draperies. Um, I have this quote that, uh, like, I was reading it and I was like, thanks for just giving me a fucking excuse in life. Um, life is largely material and there is no small heroism in the full and open enjoyment of material things. The accumulation of material things is shallow and vain, but to have a genuine relationship with such things is to have a relationship with life and by extension, a relationship with the divine. Livius was just asking me how I like my new iPhone. (laughs) (laughs) Fucking divine. (laughs) What I think is funny is that (laughs) out, out of all of us reading this book, I mean, Rob, I think you and I are probably on the same page. Uh, Olivia's liked it less, a little less than we did for different reasons, but man, you guys really bring the quotes. You go for the the, the truly awesome in yeah, many yeah. ways and deep stuff, and I'm like, I'm just picking the like low hanging fruit, funny quotes. And there is, is a lot is. of a lot of funny to be had um, <laughs> in here. I mean, a lot of very much my sense of humor and. I know I don't share the same sense of humor with you two either, but I think that all three of us were able to find this a common ground for, for um, truly, truly comedic writing. Uh-huh. Totally. Uh, if you guys have nothing else, I will be happy to do a wrap up on this book. I mean, I can read my four elements quote again about champagne and cocaine. And <laughs> anyway. Wait, just one more time. <laughs> Ricky, the bartender, has defined the four elements as cocaine, champagne, pussy, and chocolate. Wrap-ups. <laughs> Wrap-ups. Um, this is my first foray into Tom Robbins. Um, you know, I, 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 we, this comes up on the podcast probably two or three times a year. Is like that I just don't know how to rate a book because I have, I have mixed feelings. Um, had I have read this prior to doing the podcast, I feel like I would have um, enjoyed this book. Um, more than I more than I did now. So uh, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna start my review my my wrap up with the end of the wrap up. This was a great book that I don't feel I was able to enjoy um, greatly. So I, I will go back and and say and I, I may have mentioned this on the podcast before. I recognize that Eric Clapton is a wildly talented musician. That being said, I don't enjoy his work. <laughs> Tom Robbins is a brilliant, brilliant writer. Uh, A solid half of this book, I absolutely adored. The problem is the other half, I didn't. And it's not that I love the first half and not the second half. Um, I loved one of the storylines, although I think they could have used a little bit of trimming. Um, The other storyline I didn't care for, but the characters were quirky and funny enough that I could enjoy interactions between them and, you know, some some chuckle out loud moments and stuff. So it's a really tricky book to to, for me to put a a review on. I recognize why this book is revered by many people. I love the blend of, um, you know, relationship stories blended with kind of highbrow concepts about life and or perfume. Um, I, I even liked, although I, I had the master course in, in, in perfume making from the book Perfume, I even enjoyed the technical aspects that were covered in this book. I think the characters are witty and funny. Obviously, he's a brilliant guy, um, but it still fell short for me when I look at it kind of overall. Uh, I'm going to give this three stars but I know that this, this for, for most people, this should be a four and a half star book. Wow. Jesse, you want to be bookended? Sure. Go and go, go for it. 
All right. Um, <clears throat> this is um, a multiple reread for me. Um, I've actually, out of all of his books, this one I have read probably the fewest times, but it is one of my absolute favorites of his books. On any given day, my favorite Tom Robbins novel switches between this and two other titles. So this one, this one is really high up there for me, and it's it's different than his other novels. He, his writing style and his voice is consistent all the way through. But I feel like upon rereading some of his other books, um, because that's kind of what what jump-started my thought on doing this as my Patreon pick, was I decided I was just going to reread all of his books again. And this one does seem in some ways a little more dense than the other ones, but it still remains my top first, my top choice, or my second top choice with Tom Robbins. And I got to say, this is at a very minimum 4.5 stars on my end. Uh, all right, so I have read this book before, but I have to say it was probably 15 to 17 years ago, I'm going to guess. So a lot of it um, was w- rediscovered, I guess, in, in this reading. Um, I do remember that my original impression of the book was that I had a hard time getting into it at the beginning of the book. But by the time I got into it, I thought it was great. I, I remember loving it. And um, I want to contrast actually both of you guys a little bit because like, I started reading this book, I want to say either Sunday night or Monday, and we're recording on a Wednesday, and I ripped through it. I mean, I got through it in three sittings, and the least I read at any given time was 30%. So I think I went I went 30, 40, 30 you know, over the course of three days, and um, I had no trouble at all getting through any of this book. So um it paced way better for me on, on, on a reread than it had the original time. And it could be, you know, where I was at in my life. Maybe it's just because I read more books more frequently than I used to. Um, although 2017, not a lot of books, but anyway, <laughs> uh, I, I really re- enjoyed rereading this. I feel like I got a lot more out of the philosophical side of it and the spiritual side of it than I did um, when I originally read it, which was probably when I was in my late teens, early twenties. Um, great book. Um, the Alabar character in that storyline, as Livius was saying, is definitely the strength. It is the core. It is the spine of the book um, with a lot of other things going on. And I, I, I just, I thought it was an entertaining through and through. I've, I, I enjoy Robbins's style a lot. And um, yeah, I just remember this being more of the serious heavy side of his books. Like it doesn't start with, you know, a high school cheerleader having a miscarriage during a cheer <laughs> in the middle of a high school football game. So, like, you know, what does though? <laughs> doesn't isn't that how um, still life with woodpecker starts? Yeah, but I mean, yeah. other than that, <laughs> yeah, a little bit unique. Uh, so, it's not it. like Friday Night Lights starts that way. Oh God, or does it? I don't know. I've never watched. <laughs> I don't know. It yeah, like, I'm, I'm going to speculate. <laughs> it probably doesn't. Otherwise, it's a total ripoff. Um, loved it then. Love it now. Um, Jesse, what did you give it? Four point four and a half. I'm going to, I'm going to match four and a half stars. Before we get off the subject of the book, um, Jesse and I were involved in a conversation uh, about say the writing style. I mean, his, his kind of lyrical writing style and, and Jesse, and I were talking about purple prose. You remember that conversation, Jesse? <laughs> oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> so I, here, here's my thought on it 
with him, it's it's very intentional and it's consistent, which makes it a, a style choice. I, I think when the term purple prose comes up is when you have a writer who writes fairly starkly and then, you know, has like this one, like, you know, kind of, that's the word I'm looking for, kind of overblown line that they try to put in there. Like they're trying to make it the quote of their book that it sticks out like a sore thumb. So I didn't have a problem with that with Robbins because that was uh, clearly his intent from the start. It's just how he writes. Uh, and I'm basing that only on my knowledge of this particular novel. But I, I think that um, I think the consistency and intent uh, keep that from falling into the dreaded kind of purple prose. Although if you pulled out any one of these lines and dropped them into a number of other authors' books, we, we'd, we'd trip over it. You know what I mean? <laughs> like it would stick out so much you'd stub your toe on it i have a i have a thought about this mm-hmm. um i think that and i'm going to try and say this as succinctly as possible um <laughs> talent earns exceptions <laughs> so <laughs> uh yes <laughs> a lot of people write in a very purple way because they don't have I, I, they're missing something. They don't understand the, like, they don't understand how to write or they, you know, um, it's a crutch that they're using, um, using like these big, f- powerful, you know, colorful words because they can't get a simple point across. Um, but when you are talented, you you can get away with it because the pros, because in that case, the purple pros um, just kind of adds character as opposed to like, you know, being a workaround for not knowing how to fucking write a story. <laughs> yeah, I could, I could see that. So in that case, like I will forgive all day long, Tom Robbins for being purple because he writes a fucking great book. Uh, there's a lot of people out there who are very purple. Yeah. They don't, they don't write great books. I mean, yeah, that's, that's just his style. All of his, all of his books are like that. And two, he only wrote, Oh, I think it was like seven books in 30, 30 some years. So yeah. it's not, it's not a big output. Um, but yes, I was going to acknowledge the, the purple, the purple hue of the, <laughs> of the writing. And I forgot to, so thanks for, thanks for, for doing that. The tinge. Um, I've got, I've got something before we get off the topic of this book, if it's okay to, to transition over to. And go for it. One of the things that we do from time to time when we're talking about a book is we head over to Amazon and we look at the reviews. Did did either of you guys do that at all? No, but that's a great idea. I, did, I didn't have the time because <laughs> so, like, you just the finished the book. <laughs> no, before you guys go there, don't don't load it up yet. I want to say a couple of things first because like it's a dead giveaway the moment you see it. Um, 652 reviews, an average of 4.3 out of 5 stars. So when I like a book, the first thing I do is I go look at the 1 stars. And when I hate a book, I first the first thing I do is I go look at the 5 stars. So I started at the 1 star reviews. And I noticed a theme almost immediately. So if you guys can just check it out really quick and tell me if anything pops out when you're looking at the 1 star reviews. All right, I'm on there. The second review, dead giveaway. <laughs> People yeah. think this isn't a book, but a video? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it, okay, so one, of, <laughs> so one of two things has happened. 
either this is genuinely being reviewed as a baby monitor um, <laughs> or there's some kind of glitch in it like yeah glitch in the system yeah I, I came across something though in a facebook group very recently the guy was trying to order a book he so he was asking if anybody i, I belong to the, the don pendleton's mac bowl and the executioner like fan group on facebook and this guy is trying to complete his collection and he has now ordered the same book from Amazon three times and gotten something that's not even close. He's gotten the same thing, but something that's not even close. So he was asking if anyone had like an ISBN number they could give him for this book so that he could try to, to get it. So it seems like there's probably a little bit of a, of a crossover. <laughs> well, the but weird I mean, thing. I could get, listen, I get behind some of these. So this, this one review based on my first day with this book, it's, you know, I, I could see I only had it for one day and it's not useful <laughs> at all. I mean, that, that kind of fits. <laughs> I, I, I found a one-star review that actually is about the book <laughs> that I got to take issue with. Oh, let's hear it. I only got halfway through this book on sheer willpower. I've never read a Tom Robbins book, but had heard good things. This story is disjointed and travels back and forth through time with the common denominator being a beat. While the stories are interconnected to a degree, I found all the mythical gods, nymphs, etc., unrealistic and didn't add anything well, for mean, me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, nymphs and ancient gods are probably a little unrealistic. I don't think he was trying to... No, but I mean, the, the way this review is written, it's kind of like this person doesn't allow for a novel to be a novel. Like, yeah. oh, th this spans so many years. Like, this isn't a fucking story. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not excited about that review. And, uh, yeah. I mean, in this case, do you think we go look what else they've reviewed? I want to point one thing out <laughs> before we dig into Amazon customers' uh, fucking dirty details. Like, in the baby monitor reviews, if you look, there's comments to the reviews, and it's from the customer support of a of a company called Smilism. I think, <laughs> I think this company is responding to reviews for its baby monitor, which makes me wonder: Did they? How did they know about it? <laughs> Man, you guys got to just pull random quotes from these reviews because out of context, they could be gold. Like today on day four. The music died. This is so. I just don't. I. I, I don't know. What I a weird find, phenomenon. I, I did find one I'd like to like to read. That's actually about the book and not about a baby monitor. <laughs> Great. Um, this is this was posted in 2012 by Jen J E N, a verified purchase of the paperback. Unless you're an adolescent boy or a pervy old man, I honestly tried to like this book, but I couldn't get past 100 or so pages, and I skimmed over a few of them. I didn't like any of the present-day characters. I agree with Jen wholeheartedly. And if the king wasn't so obsessed with semen and describing his balls <laughs> after sex, I might have liked him a little better. <laughs> At least he had a personality. I like random silly things, but this was too much for me. A board on man seems to have been written in a drug-induced state. Someone else made a comment that Tom Robbins shouldn't write women, and I agree. I couldn't relate to any of them. They were just as gross as the men and had no desires other than to sleep, than to sleep with everyone, an old man's fantasy, or a pedophile's, as many of the girls are underage. Ew. I hate that I will think of this book every time I think of Beats. <laughs> 
unless you like crass sexual references that distract from actual from any actual storyline. Not that there is much of one. Don't waste your time or money. All right. Oh, here's but, a nice one star review from Richard R. Um, more garbage from this goofball. <laughs> Great review. So that implies that Richard read more Mm -hmm. Tom Robbins books. Yeah, and didn't like them. Right, so he kept reading. Mm -hmm. Okay, so here's one that could go either way. This could be for the baby monitor or it could be for the book. (laughs) I purchased this for my great-granddaughter who will be born in December. This is a gift that will be given (laughs) to them next month. We'll update their review in upcoming months and there is no update on the review. Oddly enough, though, it does say format baby product. I don't understand how this could happen. (laughs) Very disappointed. I found this while shopping for some new baby clothes, and it doesn't fit my baby at all. (laughs) Few books to do. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Rob, to follow up on a conversation we had before, do you think that a bunch of one-star reviews for Hillary Clinton's book maybe ended up on, like, a microwave? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. I kept pressing the potato button. <laughs> um, yeah, so weird. I just wanted to put, like, I went really I went cool. to that a few days ago, and I was like, what baby monitor? So I figured it would be a nice little, nice little experience for the three of us. <laughs> hey, this isn't real perfume. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I keep, I keep spraying it all over my body, and it doesn't smell any different. Yeah. It doesn't smell like jitterbugs. What? <laughs> um, yeah i don't All really right. have much of anything else guys i don't i don't know if you guys have any other topics or uh well that's why i brought the that's why i brought amazon reviews to the table because that's really <laughs> all i had um I, I, I have a totally random thought from reading the book um there's a there's a part early in the book that's something about like Talking about how some people can like get away with wearing a whale mask or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, man, this is exactly how I feel about hats. So I'm just gonna like, you know, take these two things as being the same. So then my brain starts going, you know, I bet I bet Rob could wear a whale mask, but none of us could. I could rock a whale mask. I don't even know what a whale mask is. I, I tried to Google <laughs> it, and the, the, the information came back was too confusing. That all right? So that that actually takes me back to this is like another edition of Rob's um, unconnected childhood stories. Um, so as as I, I know, there's it needs fucking theme music. Uh, as longtime listeners, and hopefully the two of you will know that um, my father lived in Alaska. So as a teenager. Uh, and a young, I guess, preteen when I was younger, um, several times I went to visit Alaska and, um, my youngest visit, I was probably 10. And I think my brother, he's a year and a half older than me. So he's 11 or 12 or whatever. And, um, so we're kids and we're, we're visiting fucking like visiting Alaska when you're like 10 years old, I might as well have gone to the fucking moon, like or Pluto or something. It was like this foreign world. And um, it was all about nature, the bears, the fucking all that kind of mountains and all that shit, glaciers. And um, in the oceans were a variety of whales, right? So 
being in Anchorage, there are just fucking um, like gift shops everywhere. Very big on tourism. They like just prey on the tourists. And my brother at one of these gift shops found this hat with, and it was like a baseball hat, but like on the front of it where it would just be nothing, a stuffed, like the, like the front half of a stuffed killer whale. <laughs> like that was the front of the hat. And um, it fucking looked so stupid and he just fell in love with it. So he bought this like killer whale hat and it was fucking walking around Alaska with a, with an orca hat where like it, the, the stuffed orca part was probably a little longer than the actual bill of the baseball hat. It was, it wasn't like a tiny little, it was huge. And oh man. I'm picturing one of those hats that has the clapping hands on it. Yeah. It was awful. And I made relentlessly made fun of him for it. Um, but to this day, I'll never forget that hat. Um, because it's it's one of my memories of Alaska. So that's a whale hat, not quite a whale mask. That is a whale of a story, Rob. <laughs> I'm searching. I'm googling orca hat right now. <laughs> Hold on, stuffed orca hat. Oh, like orca fat. I um I I got into the habit of when he was wearing that. I called him Dorka. <laughs> I was really fucking clever back in the day. All right, I'm seeing some. I, I'm going to share a link with you guys. We can move on from this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, I, a question, Livius. Yes. How likely are you to read another Tom Robbins book? Um, oh, good question. Yeah. So that's that's the tough part. I, I thought about this. You know, when I was saying earlier during the review, how. Had I read this before we did the podcast, I may have had different feelings about it. Um, unlikely, because pretty much all I read is for the podcast nowadays, and I don't see us going uh, going this route again. If I were uh, reading four times as much as I have this past year for the podcast, you know, would I? <laughs> sure, I would probably ask for a recommendation on something a little less dense because I do think that he's a brilliant writer. Um, in reality, uh, unlikely. Gotcha. No, I, I totally get what Livius is saying. I definitely think, Livius, you should, if you ever do get the time or a if break. I, if I ever quit this podcast. Yeah, or, you know, during a, la- during a lazy <laughs> summer, lazy summer podcasting, <laughs> patreon.com slash booked. Um, <laughs> I don't even know if that means anything. No, it really doesn't. Sorry. Please continue. It's two separate things. Um, check out Still Life with Woodpecker because it is a, it's also one of my top this one and that one switch back and forth, I think, on my top choice. And that one is shorter and way quicker to read. But also with his output, I was just going to say that, it. I'm man, I, I loved his books. And when I got them, I was just like, wow, this is a great, I totally dig this. This is a great voice. But his output is so slow. And I found out eventually that he had stopped writing more or less because of a eye condition like a, a degenerative disease or something it's really sad that he's not writing anymore and he's like 80 so there's probably not much chance he's going to start writing again that's true the last book he put out which i read was actually like a semi autobiography type book um i think he dictates now 
but I get the impression from interviews with him that he doesn't want to dictate fiction. Like that's just a completely different process for his brain. So it kind of sucks that I honestly don't think he'll ever write another novel. Well, there's always rereads. It's true. Livius, what's coming up next? Um, I'm not sure. Uh, so there is a good chance that it will be Frank Bill's new book, The Savage. The Savage. Um, that is dependent on our ability to collect it from one of those uh, book sharing websites that publishers like to use. Like digital galley site kind of yes. thing. Yeah. Yes, thank you. I, yeah, not like some kind of weird like book pirate site or whatever. But yeah, <laughs> we have not had um, luck in the past. Um, with that, but if it doesn't happen, I'm I'm okay with plunking down and, and just buying it because it does come out next week. It comes out a week from what to well, a week from yesterday, today. yeah, today or yesterday from when we're recording this. So, um, that might mean a little bit longer before you get an episode, but that's likely to be the next thing. Excellent. So, Patreon contributors who are listening to this, if you want to be like Jesse and force us to read a book, and then even potentially review it with us. There is a Patreon contribution level for that. I think it's $25 a month. Jesse is a hero um, and is, is contributing at that level. One other person is, and there's going to be a battle royale about what book we're going to be. That'll be coming up soon because the year's almost over. So um, we appreciate <laughs> yeah, your contribution you at any level. To. Another yeah. Patreon review. Um, uh, the Savage from Frank Bill with possibly Frank Bill joining us at some point, maybe on, a, on their own episode to, for an interview. Um, we're going to be doing something with Seth Harwood, and we're going to have a holiday uh, episode um, coming up before Christmas. So really, yeah. I mean, I think that's like the next five episodes that I just I was, about. <laughs> I was thinking of this, and I'll edit this if you want me to, but um, what didn't we do something for Thanksgiving last year? Or no? We, no, I don't think did, we did. did Why you? not? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, we can. It's literally, <laughs> it's the 23rd. Though, so it'd be like, like next week. Then, <laughs> yeah. yeah, like essentially next week is what we'd have to. I don't know, man. I'd like to give some thanks. Maybe we'll talk about it offline anyway. That's cool. <laughs> All right. So next week, um, maybe the savage. Who knows? Maybe some kind of weird Thanksgiving thing. I don't know. What do I know? But Jesse, thank you for your patronage and thank you for joining us for this review. Uh, we'll be seeing you again in like five weeks or so for our for our christmas episode so uh thanks yeah. again for coming on uh on behalf of rob olson uh, i'd like to thank you guys for listening uh to booked uh head over patreon.com slash booked drop a dollar a month get all the good stuff we talked about and uh, until next time i'm livia snedden and i'm rob olson keep reading